Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. Melinda and I are having a chat today and doing a little Q&A. We've had a few questions come in, so welcome, everyone. And isn't it fabulous that we didn't lead in with the weather update, but Ooh. we do have the um, Q&A ready to go and we do appreciate those that have sent in their questions. Um, so we really look forward to answering those questions and providing some insights for you today. So I guess we start with the first question and that is what's the weather like in Brisbane, isn't it? <laughs> no, I won't, I won't bore everyone. It's, it's a usual sunny day here in Brisbane and, and a lovely mid-20s. So there you go. That's my weather update. How about this? I'll start with the first question and it is from Zoe. I'm not sure where Zoe's from. Um, Zoe emailed this question in. Thank you for hosting the Brisbane Property Podcast. May I ask what will you consider a high risk of flood area in Brisbane? I am looking at a property with 0.2% flood risk. Thank you. Now, I just want to check, Zoe, we'll have it, we'll touch on that, obviously, but I just want to check in case you did a little typo there, you got 0.2%. I'm not sure if you meant 2%. Um, but anyway, we've, um, Melinda's done a blog on this one. So there is a blog on our website um, about the uh, Floodwise reports as well, which will help you a lot. Um, that does talk when you start, if you have a look at that, it'll actually go, I think it's 1%, 2%, 5%, and 20% by memory. Um, and it also shows you the minimal habitable area of the property. So that is the minimal, minimum height that you have to be um, of to stay above that sort of flood area as well. Yeah, so def definitely um, a flood risk of 0.2%, Zoe, is very, very low flood risk, but I'm just not sure where that number came from. As Scott said, um, if you head to our website at streamlineproperty.com.au, um, head over to our blog and you will find the uh, blog on how to assess flood impacts in Brisbane. We've also previously done a podcast on flood um, assessments here in Brisbane, but basically you would need to download a Floodwise property report. Links have, have been provided in that uh, blog that I've referred to. You can search a property by address. Um, so you pop in the suburb, the street name, etc., and then it will bring up the flood risk for that site. Now, there'll be one of um, a number of reports that are produced. First, if there's zero flood risk on the site, obviously that will be um, information that becomes available to you. Um, it may actually have um, an alert that comes up where there are some development flags. And what that might mean is that there's uh, some overland flow um, pathways across the site. Now, that's not fully mapped throughout Brisbane. So if a property is in an overland flow map um, or rather an overland flow path, generally um, a hydraulics engineer would need to perform more work to get an understanding of the depth of that flood impact. So keep that in mind. Overland flow paths are not fully uh, mapped throughout Brisbane, which means that we don't know a lot of detail about what the potential depth of that flood water would be. Alternatively, creek and river flooding um, are mapped throughout Brisbane. Um, and the reports that actually show any creek or river flooding impact, as Scott mentioned, will actually provide a flood level indicator for that site for the chance of flooding in any particular year. So you've referred to 0.2% flood risk. Um, what that would mean is that 
there's 0.2% chance of a flood impacting that site in a 12-month period. Obviously, the risk increases as the percentage um, level also increases. So the best way to get that certainty and clarity is to complete that floodwise report. Um, as I said, or as Scott said, we're not sure whether you did mean that 2% flood risk, um, but that's the best way to assess that. And also what's high risk? Well, that comes down to the individual purchaser. Yeah. And I guess um, for Zoe that, look, if it is a 0.2%, that's pretty low. Um, so, you know, that's, that is a pretty low risk side of things. Um, just touching on the minimal, minimal habitable area that I mentioned in that report as well. Basically, that should be the, you know, where the floor level is going to be. If they build it, if the house has been built to obviously be flood immune, um, it will be above that. That's something you're probably going to need to check yourself, um, where you're going to have to go in and find out what the natural ground level is. So the contours and then to what height the building's been built above that. So a little bit of homework there to do. Um, hopefully you can help. Uh, that'll help and uh, get you through that sort of that uh, question as well. So Yeah, the benefit um, of doing that floodwise report also is that it should also tell you what the minimum and maximum contours on an individual site are. In Brisbane, the only time it won't have that information is if it's a very large site, so not a standard house site. But where the contours are available, it will show the minimum habitable, sorry, it will show the minimum ground level and the maximum ground level across that site. It will show the level of any creek and or river flooding impact on that site. It will give a measurement um, based on, uh, it's called an AHD score, um, and that will tell you the distance or in metres above sea level that that flood water will cross the site. The detail, um, look, it's all provided in that blog blog update. So we do encourage you to head over there. So streamlineproperty.com.au, head to the blog tab and the blog of interest there is how to assess flood impacts in Brisbane. Hopefully that helps you, Zoe. The only other thing I'll touch on there very quickly, Zoe, um, you might want to just check with your insurer as well. Absolutely. That's just just check with them before you do commit to anything like that as well. So um, another one, another question we have, and again, this one, there is a blog on this one as well. So I know we're referring people to um, do a bit of reading and do some homework. Um, we've got a question from Sam in Melbourne asking about um, should he buy one higher value property or buy two lower value properties in Brisbane? Um what a great question. Good question, Sam. <laughs> Look, um, I'm a big believer of quality, not quantity. Um, there's there's many reasons in that. Um, but, you know, Melinda has done also a little bit more homework, as we would expect from a researcher, um, to help out to try and explain it a little bit more as well. And this is actually a question that we do get quite often through our inquiry. You know, people might have a fairly good budget for Brisbane and they wonder whether it might be better for them to buy two lower value properties potentially for the benefit of diversification to some extent. Um, however, in terms of whether you should buy one property or two, Sam, I guess the answer depends and it depends very much on your circumstances. So, um, as a qualified property investment advisor, what you buy depends on what your goals are, depends on how long you intend to hold the asset. It may also depend on whether you intend to live off the income in the future or whether you do intend to sell one or more properties in the future. All of those things need to be considered before you determine whether one property or two 
is going to be best for you. What I can say with certainty, especially here in Brisbane, because we know Brisbane very well and we know the locations um, that you we, we can buy for um, lower value, buy the lower value properties versus the higher value properties. Now, typically, a lower value property will be a higher yielding property. It will produce more income through rent than it will grow in value. So there's an inverse relationship, if you like, between the property yield versus the capital growth. So the lower the value of the property, generally that means you're buying further away from the CBD. And here we're talking typically about houses. When you buy further away from the CBD, you're generally in areas where there's a lot of potential land supply still yet to be developed. And that, of course, can impact the potential for strong capital growth into the future. So generally growth is lower in those locations. Now we can look back at data for Brisbane and we know uh, based on that data that the historical capital growth, and I'm not talking about, you know, the short one or two year period um, where we see spikes in growth. I'm talking about long-term capital growth. And in locations that are further away from the CBD, the growth is lower than locations that are much closer in to the CBD. Now think about this, a lower value property, yes, you might have lower growth, but you've got a higher rental yield. Now what that means is that for people that live in that location, it actually costs more to rent a property than it does to buy. So you've also got to overlay the demographic data to understand who lives there and will there ever be upward pressure on growth? Because remember, to get growth, you need people to be able to afford that product. You need an affordability driver. So depending on your personal circumstances, um, which investment strategy you choose will depend on what you're trying to achieve, but it also depends on your tax strategy. I know I'm talking a lot, aren't I, Scott? Uh, it's, it's, it is interesting. <laughs> like I, I do listen to it. I hear it a lot. Don't worry. Um, but I, I think the biggest tip that I, that I hear from this and that I think a lot of people will probably understand is it's for your individual requirements. And, and that's just something that, you know, we work really closely with clients. When we start to work with them, it, it's not, as I've mentioned to a lot of people, it's not a blanket approach when we, when we come to investing. It's it's an individual brief. Everyone has different requirements. Everyone have have different needs, and you need to take into account all of those things. It's it's your income, it's your exit strategy. You know you need to look further down the track to see what is the future. Why are you actually buying this property, uh, and what are your goals with it? You know, there's so many different varieties in this. Is it is it retirement? Is it setting up your kids? Um, is it you know, is it a future, are you trying to build a portfolio? What is the actual, why are you doing it? Hmm. Look further in advance, come back to say, make sure that this actually matches what you're trying to achieve and you'll get the best outcome for it. Um, and even the entity you buy it in, all those things, there's so many things involved before you just go and say, I want to buy one property or I want to buy two. Absolutely. Um, so I think there's a lot of things to think about um, before you actually jump in and do it um, because it is a big commitment. You know, to spend a large amount of money on in investing into property is a big commitment. So you need to make sure you do it right, I think. And I think that, you know, if, if we reference back to that blog again, um, a blog that I wrote to try and answer this question. So this question came in a few weeks ago and I have um, spent some time prepping up 
some example data because I think it's best illustrated through numbers. Um, so what I did in that blog uh, is that I made an assumption just for comparison's sake that um, we had $1 million to spend and we either buy one property for $1 million or we buy two properties for $500,000 each. Now, this was purely for the exercise of determining what the properties would look like 30 years from now. So all else um, remaining equal, the assumptions that I made, which I have outlined on that blog, is that um, both properties would have an annual vacancy rate that's fixed at 2%. Both would be borrowing at an 80% loan to value ratio, which means the cash would be used for the uh, balance of that purchase price as well as for purchase costs. Um, I've assumed an interest rate of 3% unchanged over the entire investment period. And I've also assumed principal and interest lending for um, a 30-year period. All rental expenses were fixed um, for the investment period as well. And we had inflation factored in on um, costs and rental expenses as well. So we set this up um, in two ways, one with the high growth um, scenario at the $1 million asset. So we assumed the growth to be 6.12% per annum and the yield was 3.5%. And the other scenario was two properties where the yield was 6.12% and the growth was 3.5%. We modelled that out over a 30-year period. And what we found is that the total return was significantly different significantly different between the two portfolios. So if you head to that blog, you'll get an indication of all of those numbers. Um, but when we consider the total after tax cash flow, and, and in this scenario, I modelled it for a high income earner. Remember, tax strategy must align with investment strategy. So as a high income earner, total after tax cash flows plus total growth over 30 years for the two higher yielding assets gave a total return of just over $2.1 million. Now, the alternative buying a single high growth asset um, over the same period of time, um, total after tax cash flow again, plus the total growth over 30 years gave, gave a total return of over $5.1 million. Yeah. So the difference was a staggering $2,992,000. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but if over the next 30 years I could have one asset that, you know, produced an, an additional potential $3 million worth of overall equity growth versus two assets that um, gave me that much less, I know what I would choose. But, of course, high growth assets may not be for everybody because it's very dependent on your current income levels. It's dependent on your serviceability. And that's why getting advice up front is absolutely critical. I don't know how many people I speak to when we're doing strategy sessions with clients that don't understand how that tax, um, how the tax implications really can impact them over the duration of an investment period. And that's a really important uh thing for people to understand. Now, I actually haven't read that blog yet. I'll be very honest. I, I'm sure I will, and I definitely will now, and I'm sure that Sam probably will from Melbourne. Um, that's just amazing. Like, I, I think I said out loud, I said, wow, and I think Sam's probably going to say the same thing, <laughs> wow. Um, it makes a big, big difference that, you know, that's nearly $3 million um, is the difference in that. So I guess the other thing that I do touch on as well to 
to think about and, and this is this is a, probably a, a bit of a general one is you know if you're buying two assets of five hundred thousand dollars and you're buying a one at one mil i personally i think there's possibly a chance there could be more maintenance as well so you could buy you you could buy a product that is less value which needs to have that continual maintenance your, your larger product or your more expensive product maybe not Look, that's a bit of a generalisation. You know, you could still have that as well. Um, but look, I think with the difference in there, I know where I'd be probably heading anyway. And look, you know, everybody has their own risk appetite and their own idea of what's best for them. Of course, um, a lot of people would say that you shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket because it's higher risk. Um, for example, if the property's vacant, you have no income, whereas if you have two properties and one property is vacant, you have some income. Now, of course, if you're buying in the right location, vacancy risk should be minimal anyway. So that's an argument that can be, um, you know, potentially overridden when you know investment strategy and you know location selection well. Um, I guess also if you've got two assets after 30 years, there is the potential to sell one and still own another. Obviously, with one asset, um, it's harder to you just can't sell half a house <laughs> so you know pros and cons and of course it really does depend on your overall investment strategy but I hope that's given you enough insights and head over to the Streamline Property blog to get all of the detail there's a lot of numbers there's graphs it shows the difference and that gives you an understanding um, of the possibility for one higher value property versus two lower value properties um, the scenario, has, as I said, has been provided for a high income earner. It's quite different potentially for a low income earner. So get tax advice from your accountant before you start investing. Yeah, and have a look at that blog. Definitely a good read. Um, it's actually quite interesting. The next question, it, it almost sort of links in a little bit, I guess. But we've got a question from uh, Tim in Sydney wanting, wanting to know he'd like to buy within 10 kilometres from the CBD in Brisbane. Uh, and what sort of budget would he need to uh, to make this purchase? Um, I guess when we get asked that question, um, Tim, one of the things we do talk a lot about is Brisbane is not so much um, radial like like other cities as well. Um, to the east, we have the bay. So if you go too far on that radius, you'll end up in the water. <laughs> um, so it, lovely bay, but you don't want to be out there to live. Um, but when you start to look at that <clears throat> 10 kilometres, for example, and what sort of budget um, we can help out, I guess, with, with some ideas and some some ideas for you to think about as well. Yeah, and look, it does depend on what product type, obviously, and if you are looking at a house, it's going to be very different to a unit and townhouse, so we'll just focus on houses to answer this question. Um, within that 10-kilometre ring, we can definitely say you'll probably need upward of 800000 as an entry-level buy for anything. Now, the quality of that house within most of those locations may require some work. Um, if you are willing to compromise on the quality of the house itself, then that might be an entry level price point for you. As Scott said, Brisbane's not a radial city. Um, just because you might be buying within a 10 kilometre ring doesn't mean it's investment grade. Remember that we are on a floodplain. There are locations that are not as desirable as others. So distance alone from the CBD should not be used. In fact, there's some very desirable um, 
quickly gentrifying locations just outside of that 10 kilometer ring that um, have outperformed many suburbs that are inside that 10 kilometer ring just recently because they have all of the drivers for strong growth. Um, and that's what matters more so than distance from the CBD alone. Accessibility to the CBD is important, but, you know, radial distance doesn't necessarily define whether something meets our investment grade criteria or not. Yeah, I think I think for Tim, if you're looking at that, um, that budget, Tim, I'd definitely be saying north of eight. Um, and if you're starting to look at selection-wise, as Melinda mentioned just then, um, also take into account things like transport and things like that. Um, you got to make sure, as, she, as Melinda said, that that access to the CBD is just as important as the distance to the CBD as well. So hopefully that helps. Um, we, we might touch on another. How about we look at doing a podcast on, um, we'll get a bit more, I know Melinda's the data person here. So we might look to um, get a bit of data and a bit more information together to help people understand that. And we might do a deeper dive in the future. Um, and we'll try and do a bit of a podcast on helping people buying in the Brisbane City Council area. Yeah, it's definitely something that a lot of people don't understand what you need to buy uh, within certain locations. Uh, median values, yes, you can look at those. However, they're not always reflective of what you need to pay for an asset in that location. That's a reflection of what has sold. Um, and it's also there's so much compositional bias within property. And what I mean by that is within one suburb, you might have small 405 square metre unrenovated properties selling alongside um, large, fully renovated 810 square metre blocks. So it's very hard to rely on a median value to get an indication of the, the different types of properties within an area and what they would be worth. Um, I definitely think that there's a whole podcast in that and we'll do some research in the next um, a couple of days and weeks potentially, depending on when we have time to run that podcast to answer that question, you know, what do you need to buy in certain suburbs um, in the Brisbane City Council region? And hopefully, Tim, that will provide you with a lot more insight in relation to that question. So I've just created a little bit of extra work for Melinda and Pauline um, in our team. And Pauline is off at the moment. She's just had a baby. So congratulations, Pauline. Um, hope you're doing well. And um, we really look forward to coming back on back on deck and helping us as well so yeah. when Pauline's back I'm sure you and Pauline can um, put together some data and help us out and we'll, we'll really dig deeper into that to help people out understand that value and what you what you need as well. So we've got a final question today from Jody, who is based in Brisbane. Jody says I've been looking for a home in the inner north for the last six to eight months. My question is how do you avoid overpaying in the current market in Brisbane? Oh, good question. Jody. I think there's a lot of people like you out there at the moment, um, a lot of people looking uh, and a lot of people trying to buy. Um, a lot of people missing out. Yeah, we, we looked at some properties last weekend, I think it was, yeah. Um, one of them had 38 offers, another one had 26 offers. Crazy. So mm. um, there's a lot of interest out there um, and in a fast-moving market, um, I guess they they are good properties. You know, when you when you look at a property that has thirty six or thirty eight or twenty six offers, uh, it is the type of property you want to buy. Um, how do you know if you're overpaying? Good question. <laughs> I think as long as you're just above everyone, you, you're not really overpaying. I think you, with that much interest and in, and there's that many people wanting to buy that property, that is sought after, and I think that is an ideal property that you want to be targeting as well. Yeah, I think the difficulty, um, especially with the multiple offer process 
in Brisbane is when you see an outlier that's stretched well beyond the majority of other offers. Now, that's an example of overpaying. Um, How do you avoid overpaying? You understand the market. You understand what properties have been selling for, not just the settled sales, but other properties that have sold in the last um, two or three weeks. So you are very active. You're out on the ground. You're, you're connecting and talking with agents. You're attending auctions. You're understanding the market, but also you're tracking and understanding how fast the market's growing. So in Brisbane um, at the moment, we're still tracking between 2.1 and 2.2% growth every single month. This has been consistent for the last four months in the housing sector. So this is at a greater Brisbane level. Remember, the CoreLogic data is also showing that the top end of the market is growing at double the pace of the lowest end of the market. Now, you have to use that information to your advantage when you are putting forward offers on a property or setting your auction limits, because at the end of the day, in a fast moving market, you not only need to know what has sold in the past, but what way the market is tracking and how much you need to stretch to secure an opportunity. There's a huge opportunity cost right now of missing out. And if we were to quantify that, for example, with a you know 2.2% growth factor, if you're buying at the $2 million mark, that's $44,000 of price movement per month. At $1.2 million, that's $20,400 per month. And at $750,000, that's $16,500 per month per month of price movement. So if you're not factoring that in because you're looking at the sale from, you know, four weeks ago that's now a settled sale saying that that's what this property is worth, you will miss out because this is real market growth. And with buyer depth, like Scott described, there's simply too many other people that will be prepared to pay that figure ahead of you and you simply won't buy unless you meet the market. Yeah, I think that little bit of that stretch there, um, Jody, if that helps, you know, if, as Melinda said, that $2 million mark at $44,000 a month, um, you know, you only need to pay a little bit more than someone else and you'll actually make that money back pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that hopefully that helps a little bit, but I think you've really got to understand the market. You've got to be active. You've got to do your research. You've got to be on the ground watching what's happening, who's buying what, where, looking at the, the suburbs surrounding you as well um, and just understand who's out there. You'll, you'll see probably familiar faces. Um, week in, week out that are still shopping. Here's um, a tip, which is what I love doing. And if you do know an area as well as we know, um, a lot of areas around Brisbane, when you attend auctions and you watch the underbidders and you record where they where they stop bidding, it tells you the price they're shopping at. There's a huge tip. If yep. you're shopping in a very specific location, attend the auctions, understand the limits that your competition have so that you know where they're shopping at. So that's just one tip from me. Mm, very good one, actually. Very good tip. <laughs> All right. Well, I think, um, look, we've had a few questions there. Keep keep coming, uh, sending those questions in. Keep them coming. Um, it's always good to help people out and um, answer some questions. We will jump on, look at those blogs, as we mentioned uh, in the podcast, the flood blog and the one about buying one in one higher value property or buying two. Um, and also, um, yeah, do your research, Jody, and see what you can find out and, out and about. So, I will let Melinda wrap it up as usual again. It's been good chatting. Uh, We will talk again next week. So take care and bye for now. 
Yes, thank you for joining us again. And uh, the biggest compliment that you could give us is to head on over and leave us a review um, and rate our podcast. This is the only way that others find out about what we do. Um, we spend a lot of time preparing for these podcasts every week to share this information. It is freely available. Our passion is to help people here in Brisbane to buy the right types of property and um, and not lose money. So that would be the greatest compliment if you do get a chance to leave us a review. Um, until next week, we will speak to you again then. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.